What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, a podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is episode 15, which features author, amongst many other things, as you'll hear, John Kim. John has written a few books, one of which is I Used to Be a Miserable Fuck, which is a fantastic book. I highly, highly recommend it. It's an excellent book for those of us that are going through the rebirth process. He actually just released a book called Single on Purpose. I just got it yesterday, and so far I'm really loving it. You can pick up that book on his website, tatlab.com forward slash single. That's T-A-T dash L-A-B dot com forward slash single, S-I-N-G-L-E. I am incredibly thankful to John for doing this. I'm actually still wrapping my head around the fact that he did it. Um, I'm a really big fan of his. I found him when I was in the beginning stages of my misery. Um, I found his tat texting. is, uh, And if you don't know, tat is the angry therapist. That was his moniker um, at, when he started blogging and started his rebirth. Um, I found his texting service, like I said, and it's like five bucks a month, and he sends texts uh, five days a week with different themes every day. They're they're all very inspirational and challenging texts, and I love when I get them. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I was maybe a bit starstruck. Um, you know, whenever I do these things, I always, after I do them, I'm never sure if they're any good. And then when I go back and listen, I, I usually feel better um, because I'm able to sort of take myself out of it and just listen to the content. And I think this one went pretty well. I, I don't know, though. This is definitely one that I'm, yeah, I just don't know. Like, the expectations are pretty high for myself. I mean, this is this is a, a mentor. A, a, this is someone that has inspired me, and I, I wanted to get it right. And I'm not sure. I, I hope that I did. I hope you enjoy it. Um, hopefully we can do it again. Uh, there's definitely stuff that I, I sort of missed and questions that I feel like I should have asked, but It's a pretty wide-ranging interview, and I I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something from it. Here we go. Episode 15. Joining me today is author, multiple podcast host, life coach, therapist, motorcycle enthusiast, donut lover, father, and I'm happy to say mentor, Mr. John Kim. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. Um, That's a lot, man. That's a lot underneath (laughs) my name. All accurate, though. So I'm going to do a brief shrunken synopsis of the old John Kim, the guy previous to all of those wonderful things I just mentioned. So you were a screenwriter, you were married, you got divorced at 35, and you went through a rebirth. Is that an accurate representation? Yes. Okay. What I'd like to focus on is the path that you took after the divorce. So for men that are going through this, once that happens, it, it's definitely life-changing and life-altering, but there are certain paths that can be chosen to take. Um, some of them really negative. You chose a rebirth, a, a growth path. How did you, how, how, why, why did you choose that? Why, you know, there are really severe options, suicide, uh, alcoholism, <laughs> you know? So how, how did John Kim come to choose that particular path? Um, you know, I'm not going to say that I, I, uh, you know, sat down with a plan and I knew this is how to execute this and, and what's going to happen on the other side. Um, it kind of just happened out of survival, man. It happened out of, um, 
I'm looking at the poster behind you, the the phoenix rising out of uh, out of uh, the ashes, and it reminds me of any kind of rebirth. Um, and I think rebirth starts with truth. So um, I decided to say, okay, um, I have nothing. Um, divorced. Um, you know, I, I didn't have any friends at the time. I didn't have any money. And I was like, all I have is my truth. So what is it? And so I started to, to ask that question, meaning, um, let's get really honest with myself. Um, you know, what do I need to work on uh, when I'm ready? At the time, I wasn't ready. I was just really sad. Um, what do I want to do with my life? Um, you know, all these big questions, I think that uh, people can avoid if they are busy um, distracting themselves with the vice, right? Right. So you didn't, you didn't almost, in your view, have a choice. No, I was like, okay, I'm either going to um, build a life that's honest because I came from, uh, you know, a, a failed screenwriter uh, running a restaurant bar for a while. I came from a lot of things that didn't um, make me happy uh, that over time turned me into a shell, you know? Yeah. And so I said, uh, I'm going to start, uh, doing things that feel honest to me. And so I went back to therapy school, hmm. um, because I love therapy and, uh, I just started studying psychology. The universe threw me into nonprofit and again, lots of resistance. I, I was embarrassed. I, you know, I, I thought with the masters, um, I imagined the uh, fancy office with those silver balls and right. a latte in my hand. And, you know, I was going to be a professional. Um, and I was wearing khakis and a polo, a uniform and taking kids grocery shopping and uh, didn't want to work with um, high school kids. Uh, that's not the population I wanted. And that's where I, I everything began for me. So it was in my resistance. What was the most difficult part about staying on that path? Like, were there times where you just wanted to to say, fuck it, and I'm, I don't, this is not for me, or I just want to wallow in my misery or whatever. What were the things that were the most difficult about your, your rebirth? Um, yeah, th there was um, a lot of times when I felt uh, lonely, less than defective. Uh, you know, when you get a divorce, um, I mean, a lot less today, but uh, with the older generation, and I'm 47, um, you, you get uh, salvage stamped on your head, you know, if you're divorced, especially if you get divorced later. And um, I, I didn't think I, I had much value or, you know, I, I just felt like, oh, shit, like, what, what do I do now? And so a lot of people in uh, movies advertise this, the whole kind of eat, love, pray, um, rebirth. And it's always sexy. You know, you're going to Italy and you're falling in love and having affairs. And all of a sudden, that was not the case for me. <laughs> I, I stayed here in Los Angeles and I found myself through um, through donuts, through uh, barbells and through a motorcycle. Was there anything that was, was particularly challenging at any particular moment? Was it schooling? Was it... Um you know, just deciding to take this path? Or was there anything that was particularly pulling you from it that made you want to say, no, no, thanks. This is too tough. Yeah, there, I took a year off. Um, I'm not a school guy. So I was very scared. I wouldn't pass the big exam to become licensed. That in itself was a miracle. Um, it was expensive. Um, it was just, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, the landscape was different, you know? Um, and, and I went to a school where, uh, it, it was kind of like a commuter school. People weren't that friendly. It was very competitive. Um, I didn't get the experience that a lot of uh, my uh, my friends today who are therapists had, which was you know, like, you know, campus overlooking the beach and, sure. you know, making best friends and, and all of that. That, did, that wasn't the case for me. It was just very fast, expensive, and lonely. 
which sounds like um it sounds uh, very, very transact I, I just i was thinking of um um uh, a hooker in a hotel room <laughs> fast expensive and lonely <laughs> that was my rebirth a hooker in a hotel room so what what led you to i mean you were a screenwriter so so that was in your blood sort of so to speak that was who you were but what what led you to be decide to write about it uh, your experience and, and your rebirth yeah um so as a failed screenwriter, I thought that I wasn't going to write anymore. Um, and I didn't have, I didn't know what to do with my time. And so after work, uh, I, I still wanted to create a space for some kind of creative energy. And, um, someone said, you should write a blog or you should start a blog and blog blogs were brand new. And, uh, I said, okay, where, where, and, and they're like, go to Tumblr. You don't have to build anything. You just, you know, sign up. Okay. And so I started there. Um, and, and lucky for me, I didn't know this at the time, but Tumblr was very emotional, emotion heavy. It was very, a lot of people talking about their feelings. So I fit right in and uh, called the blog, The Angry Therapist. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, although I, I was angry most of my life and um, didn't think anyone would read it. And I just started documenting my journey. And that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of everything. So, so your new book, Single on Purpose, uh, which I pre-ordered and I'll be getting tomorrow. I'm fucking excited for Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Was that a part of your journey? I'm assuming you wrote the book, but was, was that a, a, was it a part of your journey and, and was it conscious? Uh, yes, it was a huge part of my journey. So after my divorce, I was single for a, like a long stretch, you know, um, four or five years. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to be single. I, I wanted to um, have threesomes and wake up with people I didn't like. And I wanted to, you know, um, have all these crazy experiences that I hadn't before, like, you know, sex on ecstasy and all of the stuff that I've been hearing about. And I thought it was my time to catch up. But um, I, I think the universe kind of cock blocked all that and said, no, you're going to be alone. And uh, I didn't, I didn't get any action, man. <laughs> I was just, all right, well, I better go and do some fitness and I better, you know, um, journal and, and write and kind of uh, get to know myself. So I spent a lot of time uh, in diners. Um, I was always, I always had headphones in. So I was listening to something, whether it was, you know, Wayne Dyer or uh, some kind of self-betterment thing. Um, and just spent a lot of time just alone, you know, taking walks, like that whole idea of dating yourself. I did that for like four years. Was that, was that conscious or that, or that was just out of, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but I mean, it's at a certain point where you're like, you know what, I just want to do me for a while. Yeah. So, um, it started off as, uh, um, I'm alone because no one wants to be with me. And then I started to enjoy the process. So like, I actually started to look forward to getting on my motorcycle and just taking a ride. Um, I think it was Ryan Reynolds who said, because he also writes, he said that when he was in Hollywood and he, was, uh, um, he wasn't famous, he was barely, you know, I think it was a server or something. He, he wasn't making ends meet. Um, all he had was this motorcycle. He said it saved his life. He said he just, you know, rode that thing at night and it really made him present. And uh, it, that's kind of what happened with me, you know. Um, so uh, doing a lot of that in L.A. And then I started to like it. So I found... Uh, CrossFit was brand new at the time. You know, I found uh, that whole fitness thing that connected me to parts of myself that I have locked away. Um, riding motorcycles was uh, something that I've always wanted to do. But, you know, when I was married, I promised my, my wife at the time I would never buy one because they're dangerous. Uh, my parents were always against it. So it was the first time in my life I got to do something for me. Right. And so that represented that. Um, and then a new form of writing, which is blogging after I, I kind of stamped myself as a failed writer. 
So a lot of a lot of the, a lot of my listeners are, are guys that are just starting the process, and and I'm sort of knee deep in it, for lack of a better description. Yeah. And and you've been through it. So what what are some of the things that you you can say to these men? Some advice you would say to help them get through this initial period where mm. they are just lost and hurt and don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, how far are you in it? Are as far as if it was a tunnel, where are you? Um, hmm. I'm, I'm far enough along that I can see some light, uh, mm, just like right. mentally, um, uh, you know, my mental health, I think is much improved. I can see that there is going to be good from it. Um, yeah. but I'm still in the dark at times. Uh, it's been, so she left and filed in July of 2019. So it's mm. been a little while. Um, it's in negotiation process and you know, one of these days she'll stop moving the goalposts so we can get it done. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, how much is your podcast becoming, you know, a vine that's pulling you out of this quicksand? Oh, a, a huge part of it. And, and it's not just, it's not just the expression. Uh, that's certainly a part of it. It's the, it's more than anything. It's, it's the connection. Yeah. It's yeah. a connection with men that are going through the same thing Yeah, and we're sharing stories and, and, you know, some of it is just bitching to each other, but, but it's the camaraderie of, of the, the things that are happening to us. It makes us feel like we're, we're in this together. Yeah. So what's happening for you is exactly what happened for me. Uh, but for me, it wasn't a podcast. It was a, a blog. And then it turned into like a secret group blog and emails and, you know, secret Facebook group. So it yeah. was basically me finding um, a voice, right? So uh, if you're listening to this and you're going through a, a, a rebirth, um, finding your voice, you know, and, and, and that means pulling from your, your solid self, your authentic self, you know, trying to live out inside out instead of outside in. Um, and then once you find your voice, uh, to stand on your truth and to actually, um, say something, <laughs> you know, and create a dialogue, uh, what's the fire in your belly? You know, what's the, the flag that you're waving? What's your message? And so what happens is it kind of becomes bigger than you, you know? So like right now with your podcast, um, you and I are creating a dialogue and whoever's listening, hopefully, um, helping them in some way or making them feel less alone is bigger than both of us. Right. And so that pulls us outside of self. So of course I was down, of course I was sad, of course I was lonely and all that, but um, those became kind of like moments where you're um, you know, skipping a rock across the pond, right? And, and, and what really um, kept me going was the movement, meaning um, writing, connecting with people, building a community, uh, finding a sense of purpose. That was, um, that was the big thing for me. Yeah, it's one thing that you and, and it's why I, I do say mentor, because it's one thing you said to me um, a couple of months ago. And, and I was, I don't know if I had started or I was just starting and I was concerned about fleeting motivation and whether yeah. or not anybody would fucking listen. And one of the things you said is just keep creating, just keep the river flowing and people will dip their toe in. And I think it's, it's one of those things I think where if you get past the inertia Mm -hmm. and keep going it's going to take off whatever it is as long as you're being like you said finding your truth and, and and finding your voice and speaking it but i think that can be the challenge sometimes is just to get going yeah and and you know taking off can have different definitions uh, de depending on what you attach to that so if your definition of taking off is you know x amount of listeners or downloads or your definition of taking off maybe you know you finally have ads um those are kind of all obvious but you know there are other definitions of taking off so if your podcast 
through through your podcast as a vehicle gives you some kind of voice or sense of purpose. I mean, that's so valuable, you know, even if there aren't that many people listening, right? Even right. if you haven't monetized it or whatever. Right. Um, if you doing this is somehow connecting to yourself or you're learning and growing, it's almost like journaling, but doing it um, verbally, then to me, that's taking off, right? So I, I, I focus less on the, on the scoreboard on um, width and, and focus more on depth, right? So if it made me happy, if it got me to um, get obsessed with it, if I liked it for me, then that meant it took off. That meant it was successful, right? I didn't need to um, be the, whatever, the, the most popular blogger on Tumblr because I knew I wasn't going to be. Were, were there other things that, I mean, that like I, uh, you know, in the intro, it's, it's a long list. Are there other things that you did attempt that didn't work out that, that caused you to, to have pause in, in your vision? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly because there were so many things that I threw at the wall. Um, my tail started wagging when I started playing with um, the internet. So um, emails, real people behind the emails, real questions made me feel alive and, and gave me a sense of purpose. And then someone gave me 20 bucks on PayPal. Um, and I shared this story because I remember vividly. Um, and it wasn't the 20 bucks. I mean, you know, I guess I was broke, but it was, it was the, it was the first time I ever got paid on the internet, um, for answering this, this email very thoroughly. And so two things happened. One, I thought to myself, oh, someone finds me valuable. So all of this conversation, whether it's videos or whatever I was doing, um, someone finds value in it. I didn't ask for money, but someone gave me 20 bucks. And then um, the other thing that happened was, oh, you can make money off the internet. And so that shift really, that was kind of the moment where things really, um, I started to really like play with my, my Legos and I started to, any idea I had, I promised myself I would execute it. Um, and I used to think to myself, um, I, I used to think this about myself that I was a half-ass because uh, I had more ideas than I could execute. And so every time I do something, it would be um, not thought out, right? So uh, I, I told myself that I'm going to just build a bus while I'm driving it. I'm just going to throw shit at the wall. I'm going to execute, execute. And what started happening was, uh, yes, a lot of stuff didn't work out, but then a few did. And the things that did... Um, really changed my life. You know, I think it's like in the movie business where they have, um, like 10 failed movies, but it only takes one to pay for that 10, right? you know, yeah. and, um, the one or two that, you know, I, I did very well, um, or, or whether it was timing or whatever it was, uh, that kind of <laughs> paid for all the other stuff, all my other attempts. So I want to yeah. shift a little bit, maybe to a little bit more serious stuff. And that mm -hmm. is 69% of the divorces in this country are filed by women. And you're not mm. a woman, so I'm not asking you to speak for them. But why do you think yeah. that number is so high? Man, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I think because we live in a time where uh, the uh, uh, Norman Rockwell painting is gone, you know, uh, people know they're the, the big defense has splinters, you know. Um, we are no longer just staying married for our children or because uh, we're afraid, I think, now more than ever. Um, if something is not working or if something is abusive or something isn't connecting us to ourselves. Uh, and if people aren't changing, then we're not willing to negotiate that. And I think especially women, because um, uh, I think generationally women 
were uh, told and taught to to not get a good divorce because if you get a divorce, it's you know, in, in some religions it may be a sin, in, sure. in, in in some cultures it's you know you 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 never get a divorce. Um, now they're saying actually no, this is not making me happy, and I'm going to. And I think people are more accepting of it, and so we're seeing. Um, we're seeing it rise. So I don't think it's about uh, relationships getting harder. I think it's more people are finally being more honest about their relationships. I think perhaps there's a tendency to, um, perhaps because of Disney and Hallmark, um, yeah. that, that, that things aren't being lived up to. So people uh, seemingly um, end it quicker. Now, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I think it's a very complicated thing, certainly when you involve children um i i think the tendency to give up should should be a little bit um less yeah yes i think that's happening in um the generations coming up i think they have um they don't have the grit uh and you know that's a generalization but i don't feel like they have um because back in the day it's like oh divorce is not an option so it forced people to stay in it and sometimes that's the prescription. Sometimes staying in it gets you, you know, as long as you are working on, you know, communicating and working on yourself, looking inward, um, you need to swim past, you know, the breakers for it to be calm. A lot of kids growing up, uh, you know, they, the little, little thing doesn't work out or one little fight and they're out. And so um, it's not giving them the elasticity. It's not giving them, um, strength, the stretching that you need, the flexibility, you know, emotional intelligence, that's, that's all kind of acquired through um, a hard relationship, you know, working on it. Yeah, I, I, you're right. And I think it's, it's I, the culture, perhaps, you know, everything yeah. is throw away and there's so many options, you know, yes, yeah. and dating apps and dating apps. Oh, and... I forgot to mention, by the way, you have a dating app, but I even forgot that one. See, you have so many damn things, John, I, I forgot. Throwing shit at the wall, still doing it, man. <laughs> I love it, by the way. <laughs> I, I can't wait for it to be adopted more widely, but I do love yeah. the format. I do love the idea behind it. It's fantastic. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I want to shift again and ask John Kim uh, something I've never, ever heard you talk about, and that is religion. And I don't want to mm. you know, get into whether you think uh, you know, uh, a particular religion is bad or good. I'm just curious yeah. your view on spirituality and religion. I've never heard you talk about that. Yeah, um, I I didn't grow up religious. Uh, my parents uh, just worked a lot, and then when I uh, got engaged and married, she was Christian, and so um, I just kind of naturally went to church with her. Uh, was Christian, and um, I, I think I kind of went through the motions. You know, um, there was nothing wrong with the church that I went to, but I found some churches to be. Um, hypocritical and yeah, yeah. Ju- judgmental and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but now um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm religious, but I'm definitely thirsty uh, to be more of a spiritual person, you know, to have a spiritual lens to um, see things um, from, from that perspective. So uh, I don't know what that looks like, but at 47, that, I feel like that's kind of my next uh, chapter is to live more of a spiritual life, you know, um, without the announcement, you know, so I got to, I got to process what that looks like for me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an individual thing. It's just curious. I've never heard you speak of that. And um, I was curious. And so with that theme, if you can, uh, if you can cough up anything, what's something that the world uh, does not know about John Kim? 
Oh man, what does the world not know? You're, you're pretty open and honest. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I, I can't imagine what it would be, but um, any failings that we're not aware of, any successes, anything you're working on? I'm obsessed with fencing. I don't really talk about that a lot. Um, no, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I just made that like, shit up. <laughs> I was just thinking of that Geico commercial. Did you see yeah, that yeah. one? Yeah, that's what I um, man, I don't know. I've been pretty transparent. Um, what does the world not know about me? Um, Were you always that way or did that occur during your rebirth? It occurred during my, my rebirth and uh, kind of uh, doc documenting my story. And then I feel like uh, if you do it long enough, um, you kind of, because uh, I at one point wanted to delete everything, right? And really? but I did it for so long, I was like, I can't, you know, um, it, there's just too many posts, too many things out there. So I just feel like I, I swam too far to turn back. And so now I, I just feel like I'm going to um, die this way. I'm going to keep pushing, whether, whether it's audio, video, or words, uh, documenting my story and, and let go of that. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it, it gives me anxiety, especially today as a, as a family man, you know, I have a baby now. Um, and so by documenting my life, um, she is now part of my life. And then wondering, do I post pictures of her? Do I not? That was my next sort of question. How does, has that brought up anything in your relationships and, and how will you um, be in, in the future when you have a teenager and things of that nature? I mean, obviously you're far, far off from that, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be in my eighties. <laughs> no, um, I, I uh, yeah, but still the guy with the wearing vans and, and, and uh, picking her up on a Harley, hopefully. And they'll be like, dude, your, your grandpa's here. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I get approval from, from Vanessa, my girlfriend, of course, and I don't do anything that she's not cool with, but uh, Logan's a part of my story. And also um, I document my story. So, um, you know, so I post photos of her and, and my journey. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm famous or anything. I have a, a you know, small community that, that, that follow me, but um, if I get to a place where it is too much or, you know, I've never experienced anything other than, you know, a few people on the street, you know, saying they, they they follow me yeah i was gonna say like time out have you ever been stopped on the street and said hey you're john kim yeah I, that's uh, la many times but um yeah bro you're famous <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i don't consider that famous but if it gets to a place where um you know it's uh endangering her life or it gets very kind of like uh you know i gotta take precautions then I'll make that decision then, you know, but right now I don't feel like it's needed. So being a father, I'm a father of two girls. Um, mm. that, and it, sometimes it, it scares the, the shit out of me. So in that sort of theme, like what scares the shit out of you? It doesn't have to be about your daughter, but just life in general. Like what scares John Kim? Man, what's there? So many things scare me. I feel like, um, I wish I was uh, where I'm at now, but in my thirties. So, you know, um, I feel like I'm getting old, man. I feel like I'm getting older. Um, I, I don't feel that in my spirit, in my heart, because I'm, I'm always, you know, always be kind of a kid. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll eat something. I'll eat a, an M and M, and I'll see it in my, uh, my stomach, like right here, popping up the next day. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't move as fast. Um, I'm not as strong. Um, and like the whole thing of approaching fifty is, is really that's kind of like scaring me. Uh, and then also being an older that dad, like if I do the math when, when she is, I know we're joking, but when she is, you know, going to her prom, holy shit, I'm going to be, I mean, was that uh, 17, 16 years from now, I will be uh, 47, 50, I'll be in my sixties. 
So, you know, that, that, um, I don't like to go, I don't like to think about it, but that's, that's the truth, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not a fun fact, but we all get old. It's, it's, it's definitely a thing. I think that's, it scares the shit out of me, like death and dying, yeah. the whole, the whole nine. Um, I, I don't have any interest in any of that. But here's the thing. I don't think I could have done it any sooner. I, I wouldn't have been present. I wouldn't have had tools, you know, having a kid in my twenties would not have been good for me. No, nor the kid. I mean, yeah. I know from my point of view, it would have been, I would have raised the fucked up child. Like, let, no, no, no question. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I think we, 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 we all get older, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that Elon Musk will be able to figure it out and we'll all mm. just become sort of cyborgs or something. Like I can download my brain into a robot. Like I don't ever want to die. And I, I just, I think he needs to, that's one thing. Electric cars are great, but right. I, I really want to be able to live forever. I'm actually the other way, and I and I know people like you, and I think it's interesting. Um, uh, who who is it? Tom Bayou? I don't know what his name, but his one of his goals is to um, live forever. I think he created the, the Quest Bar, sold it for like a billion dollars. He's now doing a lot of self betterment stuff. Um, yep. I, I don't want to live forever. I want like if I can't wipe my own ass, I want to go, man. I'm, I'm like I'm done, you know. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want have to worry about wiping it at all. That's what I mean. I want to be a robot somehow. I right. feed off of electricity. Uh, or, or, or something of that nature. <laughs> See, that's what scares me. That, that scares me more than me being in my 60s uh, when my daughter's in high school. Now, is John Kim a tech guy? Do you um, have like smart shit in your house? I, I'm not, I mean, I'm definitely a gearhead, uh, but I'm not a, a tech guy. Uh, I'm, I think tech's interesting, but I don't have, um, you know, Alexa in every room and fancy things. Yeah, just a cell phone. No. Yeah, and I like engines. I don't like. Uh, I know the world is headed toward electric cars, and I think, of course, that's a good thing for the environment. Um, but sure. I, I gotta put gas in my engine to. For, like, if I can't hear the engine, it doesn't give me the. You know what I'm talking about? Because yeah. they have electric motorcycles now, and I think that's. I think those are terrifying because you can't hear them. Yeah, true. Yeah, you, you wouldn't hear it coming up on you. Yeah, no, they're dangerous. Probably, they're, they probably fly too. I bet. Yeah, they're very fast and they're silent. They're like ninjas and. Uh, and I, I, to me, I think that's very dangerous. Um, my motorcycle is very loud, so you could you could hear it, you know, when I'm next to you. Um, we mentioned um, you know some self betterment, and and obviously that's kind of the crux of, of what I do and you do. Um, what are some books besides, of course, your yours that are fantastic? What are some other books that you recommend from guys to read? Uh, one of the books that really moved me or changed me uh, post divorce was uh, it's called The Superior Man by David. Died. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say his last name. And it sounds like the title is very misleading because it's like the superior man sounds very arrogant. Um, but it's about masculine, feminine energy. It's written beautifully. Um, that's a really good book. Uh, Fire in Your Belly um, by Sam Keen. That was a really good book. And you know, I I I, um, I, I don't read a lot, which is interesting because I write. So I'm a conceiver. I don't, um, I, I've never been someone that read a lot. I mean, I don't, I've never read like in school. I never read textbooks. I just always got by and, uh, I'll listen to a lot of audio, but I just, I don't, I can't read. And I don't know if it's, uh, just cause I had never trained myself, but I, after about 10, 15 pages, I just zone out. Um, but those are two books that I did read. Um, yeah. You mentioned masculinity in, in that book. Uh, I'd like to talk about that. Like, I th yeah, I think the view of masculinity is changing, and I think it's mm -hmm. not necessarily, um, you know, macho bravado versus not. What I do think it is is whatever it was, uh, perhaps that macho bravado type of 
way into a view of just ownership, ownership of self, mm. of feelings, of emotions, of strengths, of weaknesses, all of those things. How do you see masculinity? Is it changing? And if, and if so, how so? Yeah, I definitely think it's changing. I think it's a great time um, for, uh, speaking of rebirth, for the rebirth of, of man. Um, well, both when, both men and women, but since we're talking, talking about masculinity, uh, a new definition, you know, and I think, uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up with yeah, uh, the, you know, the Marlboro man and the, the dude on the horse and, yep. you know, John Wayne, a lot of uh, machismo and also being Korean American, um, just a lot of testosterone man. and also in locker rooms, right? Yeah. Uh, competitiveness, uh, holding feelings in all of that. Uh, and I realized when I was working in nonprofit, and I think this is why the universe put me there. Um, I realized that we lived in a fatherless nation and that uh, all the teenagers that I was helping, uh, I mean, it was hundreds of them. The, the common thread was dad was either not home or mentally, either physically not home or emotionally absent. Uh, and so I saw the byproduct of that. And I was like, the, you know, the men need to redefine themselves, you know, yeah. and I think it's happening now. I think uh, social media is a big part of this. I think uh, um, because before, you know, before social media, it was just like sports celebrities, movie stars, you know, um, it was a, a two dimensional version. It was car the cardboard cutout of a man uh, with social media. Now we're seeing our next door neighbor. We're seeing, you know, someone that we follow that we admire. That's a real person. Um, and so I think we're starting to see men as three dimensional. So vulnerable um expressing themselves and it doesn't mean that they can't go to the gym and they're doing all that stuff too right um but just uh i love what you said you know uh looking inward yeah. you know that's become uh, hopefully it's going to be a standard but that's become i think um something that uh men are very curious about yeah and so on the point of of the the, the kids that you worked with what did you do to try and help those fatherless children like how was how do you I don't want to say fix that or cure that, but how do you heal those children? I, I, you know, I, I didn't do much other than be myself. And I think what happened was, uh, and also looking inward and going through my own journey at the time, um, I gave them emotional milk w without knowing it. So they got the, the dad that they never had because I was present and yes, I was getting paid for it. I had to be there, but, um, I was asking about how they felt. I was, um, you know, not competing with them. I was holding a safe space, not judging them and encouraging them um, to express their feelings and encouraging them to um, be vulnerable, you know? And so uh, I had men or I had boys that either wanted to be me or fight me. You know, in the beginning it was that. And I had uh, uh, girls who were standing too cr cl uh, close and, and, you know, didn't, didn't have boundaries. And I saw the future, you know, like five years from now, where these kids would end up. And I kind of connected dots and realized um, it would be different if they had a different dad or a dad that was just there. You know, I felt how thirsty they were for that. Yeah. I mean, it, it begs the question, why? Right. Why, why does that happen? And, and there's a whole host of reasons. But one of those has to be um, the inability, kind of like we talked about before, to to sustain a relationship. Right. So you've coached and, 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 um, counseled many, many men and, and women. What, what's the biggest challenge that people in relationships face? Um, 
Yeah, I don't think it's just one, but one, uh, man, this would be like, you know, like if I said top five, one would be not taking ownership. So um, a lot of blaming, pointing fingers, um, not saying, okay, this is my piece. This is what I want to own. Um, a lot of pulling on the tug of war rope instead of letting it go. Uh, a lot of ego. Um, there's a lot of couples who where one couple will want to do the work and, and look at themselves and the other one doesn't believe in therapy or, or doesn't believe in self-help. Um, and it just, it doesn't work. You know, you, you need both people to, um, it's like two pistons popping for the engine to move forward. And, uh, this is why a lot of people outgrow the other person. In terms of therapy, some people are very, very critical of therapists, mm -hmm. sort of like, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies in a way where it's just, they're, they're not really looking to cure you. They're just looking for you to keep coming back. Um, what do you say to that sort of viewpoint of therapy that it's not helpful, that it's a waste of time? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to seeing a therapist, it's very different than say a doctor, right? Because you, you, you go to the hospital because you broke your arm and there's a certain procedure. And yes, all doctors are, are different, but they're going to generally follow um, what it takes to heal that, that arm. Um, when it comes to therapy, it's a lot more abstract, you know, and every story is different. And also the therapist in front of you is different. They have a story. They have different orientations and how they come into things. So you can't, you can't judge it by um, the letters after their name. You have, to, you have to ask yourself, is this a good fit for me? And you have to be honest, right? Um, is, it, is the chemistry good? How do I feel about this person? Do I trust this person? Um, it's more about the relationship with your therapist than them telling you like what to do, right? Therapists, um, we don't we don't fix people. You know, we guide, we support, uh, we create a safe space, we process, um, we help. You know, with your perspective, uh, maybe make you accountable. All of these things, but uh, we we're not doctors. That we don't fix people. It's kind of like the you were saying about relationships. It's still a relationship, right? So yeah. you have to have both components, uh, you know, moving towards the same goal. Yeah, and sometimes the relationship itself is what's the most powerful and therapeutic, right? The relationship you form with your therapist, of course, with boundaries, but that um, may be something that you haven't had before. You know, if you've only been in relationships that are lopsided or no one's ever held space for you, um, your therapist relationship can be healing in itself. So not so much what they say, but what the relationship is like. Do you ever feel like you failed as a therapist? Um, God, no, I, you know, there was one, one thing that happened to me, um, that I wish didn't, uh, I, I was, uh, I had a client, I was working in a, uh, uh, high end, um, rehab in Malibu. And that whole mountain in LA, Malibu is like rehab row. And it was it's on the ocean, a lot of uh, expensive rehabs. And I uh, took on a, like a high profile client and she was a heroin addict. And I um, flew her, uh, I think it was, it was to Boston and I was transitioning her from rehab to kind of real life. Um, and I didn't know this, but she was lying to me the entire time. It turned out she was using, then she ran away. Um, and I was terrified because it was a, a very like high profile family. Um, and I, I had no control. And so I, I, I felt like I had, I did the best I could at the time, but I think I made poor judgments in, um, trusting her too fast and all of these things. And so that whole experience, I felt like, uh, I failed at that experience. I felt like, um, I could have done more or better. Um, but at, 
if you pull back and, and I think about myself as a therapist in general, um, I don't see myself as a failure, you know, like I did with the screenwriting. Right. Isn't that, that view that you, you have that being mindful of your thoughts, isn't that really the secret to all of this is just paying attention to your thoughts and being pure and, and not focusing on one mistake clouding everything about you, but being able to be mindful and step back and say, okay, that was a mistake. I'm not a mistake. Isn't that sort of the secret to all of this self-help stuff? Yeah. I think, um, if you were to pick one secret, it would be distance. And what I mean by distance is, um, in the way, uh, uh, you know, Buddhism, uh, how they practice distance, meaning not being hooked. We all have cognitive distortions. We all feature trip. We all, um, have thoughts that are, you know, false beliefs that are false. And so that distance where you can see something and not, um, internalize it. Right. So if I was to internalize that event, of that person relapsing or running away, um, and me not being able to help her, uh, then I could, I could say that I am uh, worth less or I am, you know, a bad person or a therapist. Um, but if, but by creating distance and looking at it from, um, I did the best I can, you know, my, my heart was in it. Um, that that's what happened. And also even before that, um, who's to say that I didn't help her in some way. Right. Sure. And I don't know where she's at now or like what seeds did I plant or, you know, whatever. Um, when I start looking like that, then I'm able to, uh, not attach my worth, not, I'm able to not internalize, right. I'm able to see it as part of my story, not reject it, accept it. And, uh, that's hard to do, but yeah, I think that is one of the, the secrets of life is, is to create that distance from, um, your thoughts to everything. Yeah. And it's like a muscle, right? I mean, or, or, or an exercise or, I mean, you have to, it's not, none of these things are, or, you know, snap a finger automatic. No, I think it's a, it's a, a lifestyle, yeah. you know? And I think that's the thing about self-betterment. A lot of people get into it and, um, you know, they go to a retreat or they do, they read a lot of books and they think, you know, oh, this is, I'm, I'm done. And it's like, no, you're just starting. And if you stop pedaling, that's going to, it's going to stop. You know, it's like, if you, start eating shitty and stop going to the gym, you're, you're going to gain weight, <laughs> you know, uh, you have to thread it into your life. Um, and it's the same thing with self betterment. Uh, I want to talk about timeliness of messages. And, and, I, and I think we'll wrap up with mm -hmm. this. Sometimes, mm -hmm. especially, let's say there's a truth. Um, you need to have a good relationship with your ex for your children. That is a truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's not always a truth that you're ready to hear. Right? Right. Is there is there a, a, a timeliness of some of these messages that needs to be considered? So if a guy's reaching out and saying, oh, my ex has just started dating someone, it's only been two months and someone says, yeah, well, you know, that's inevitable. You just got to get used to it. Is that helpful? Isn't there shouldn't there be a, um, a consideration of the timeliness of a piece of advice or, or an outlook? Yeah. I agree. Um, I think that, you know, going back to this idea of your truth, uh, if you have feelings about something, if you are jealous still, or if someone, um, you know, it, it's been fresh and, and your, your ex is dating someone or whatever, uh, I, I, I think you have to um, allow yourself to feel, you know, and I think it's okay to um, not race to, to quote unquote, get over someone. Uh, because that never works. It's more about um, sitting with feelings, 
allowing yourself to feel so they come and they go. Um, and I think that's what healing is about. It's not about like, oh, it's been three months. I should be over her. Um, I should not be jealous. And I should, you know, all of that stuff, right? And so I would stay away from all of that. Every expiration of a relationship is going to be different. And you, can, you shouldn't compare yours to anyone else's or um, any other breakups that you have, you have been through, you know, because there's so many factors that make, make them all different. Yeah, true. The last thing I, I want to ask is one that I ask everyone that, uh, especially guys that have been through a divorce, is what are the, the, the final words of wisdom that you would pass along to someone who was just just found out, you know, just was served papers, the wife just left. What are some final words of wisdom to those men? Um, one of the greatest gifts my um, ex gave me, because she she's the one that wanted a separation, which turned into a divorce, uh, was um, she clipped me, meaning <laughs> uh, boundaries, uh, meaning, you know, she didn't say uh, after the divorce, oh, let's hang out once a week or let's see where this goes. It was basically, we are done. Um, I'll see you on the other side. And so zero communication at the time, I thought that was cold and heartless and it was very hurtful, but looking back, that's what I needed to really move on and focus on myself, or I would have been back over or filled with hope or wondering if there was round two, it would have been like peeling the scab, you know, constantly. Um, so a lot of people, uh, who are going through this today, the number one thing to start with, I think, is boundaries. You know, you, you, there's going to be some residue. I think a lot of relationships, when they end, I don't know, they sleep around for a little bit or they have a couple, they make, a, they, they just, you know, yeah. maybe have a round two. I don't know. But right. um, when you know it's over, when both of you know it's over, um, you, you got to cut the cord. You got to unfollow. You can't um, be in that person's life. You got to now focus on your own relationship with yourself. Yeah, agreed. I think that's a large yeah. part of it. You, you have to, start creating a new identity. And, and in order to do that, you have to end the old one. Yes. Yeah. And also, you know, with every birth, um, it's painful, you know, when a baby comes into this world, <laughs> there's tears and screams, everyone. So like, um, I think rebirth is, is painful and it's supposed to be, you know, it's not just, um, if you're just going somewhere exotic and having a great time and stamping that as rebirth, um, I think you're running away from yourself and distracting, not really um, doing the, the kind of inner work uh, where there are there's going to be a lot of pain, you know. John, I really I want to thank you, and I don't know how to properly do that in a way that feels righteous, other than just to say thank you. I, you know, to me, it's the words you speak, it's the way you speak, it's your truth, it's your 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 transparency. You're an absolute inspiration to me. I can say. 100% that I would not be doing this if it wasn't for you. Thank you so much, man. And I'm really proud of that because uh, you told me about this, that you were doing it. And uh, here we are creating and you're continuing to do it. So um, I applaud what you're doing. And uh, I just, I, it's, it's great to see you um, rising out of your ashes. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Take care. All right, brother. Be well. That's a wrap for episode 15. I want to thank John for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. What an incredible experience for me. Um, I, I'm still, like I said, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I, I lack the words, honestly, uh, which is rare for, for me as, as I think you guys know. Um, I'm just incredibly grateful and I just, I can't believe it. Honestly, it's, it's strange and awesome and 
fucking strange. But I, I'm I'm incredibly thankful. John is a is an, an inspiration for all of us men out there. He's someone who went through what we are going through, and look at him now. I mean, if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what does. So, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Before we go, I wanted to give a shout out to the man that created the promo for this episode, Mr. Robert Michael. Robert, thank you very much. He did an awesome job on creating a, a little promo for me that I, I used on social media. You can find Robert at robertmichaelonline.com, and he's also on Instagram at robertmichaelonline. Thanks again, Robert. I really, really appreciate it. So if you need any kind of graphics work or any of that design, any of that kind of stuff, please reach out to Robert. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song, Born Again, which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. Thank you to Justin Delahanty and all of my brothers at the Alpha Code. Please reach out and connect with me and other like-minded men on the Facebook group page, Rising Phoenix Podcast. This group will be used to discuss released episodes, future episodes, and to discuss any and all things that come from dealing with a divorce, separation, or breakup. I look forward to connecting with you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence just like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.